When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 103. Today's episode is all about how to accomplish your goals by coaching yourself. You need to be your own coach because when you're challenging yourself to your edge and you're trying to achieve something, it's inherently uncomfortable. Any change is, you know, intrinsic in the change process is discomfort. So when you're feeling very uncomfortable and when you're feeling like this is so hard, you're doing it right. What really feels dreadful is normally the thoughts in our head. It's not really the experience of it. The more you self-coach and the more you sit down and pay attention to what's going on in your head, the better you get at it. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends and wild people. First off, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please hit the subscribe button. More subscribers means even better guests and tons more value. Plus, it helps me grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone could use a little more mind love. Hello, wild minds. So here's a thing. Every human knows what we should do, but most of us aren't doing it, at least in some area of our lives. So maybe you know how to eat healthy, but you keep ordering fries instead of salad. Or maybe your doctor told you to work out, but you keep grabbing the remote instead. Maybe you know that you should make more sales calls, but instead you're scrolling through Instagram. We all do it. So what's the disconnect? How do we make sure that we actually start doing all those things that we know we should do? So I've asked a lot of coaches this question. I know a lot of coaches. I kind of surround myself with them right now. It sort of goes with the job. Plus they're just really helpful to know. Well, when I ask them their biggest tip, it's always hire a coach which totally makes sense because that's their business model and it's good marketing. And I'm definitely not knocking coaching. I coach people. I've had people coach me. There's a reason I surround myself with coaches. They're super helpful. Honestly, there is something really helpful about having someone who can see your issues from a fresh perspective. Someone who isn't emotionally tied to every decision. Someone with more experience than you or someone to keep you accountable, all the things. But not everyone has the luxury of being able to afford a coach. It really bothers me when people say, well, if it means enough to you, you'll go into debt. I'm in debt and it sucks. To be transparent, I did go into debt to quit my job and launch my dreams. And I'll be real, for me, it was the best decision I've ever made. But I also don't have children. I didn't have a lot of responsibilities. I didn't have a lot of other debt. So it worked for me. It doesn't work for everyone. So I don't know the right answer on the debt versus dreams thing. You have to answer that for yourself. All I know is paying for a coach isn't the only way. It's an amazing and powerful way, but it's not the only one. You may never want to hire a coach, or maybe you just don't feel like you should right now, and you'll get there. All of that's okay. So what if you could hack into your mind and start to work the same magic that a coach would? What if you could start to shift your mindset to see your own issues from a fresh perspective? What if you could start to view the next steps more logically instead of emotionally? Or what if you could hold yourself accountable? What would change for you? Let's figure some of those things out. Today, we're talking to Dr. Sasha Hines. She's a developmental psychologist and life coach. She's an expert in positive psychology. She was actually one of the first people to ever graduate with a degree in positive psychology, which is so cool. Well, she specializes in lasting behavioral change and the science of getting unstuck. So today, she's going to teach us some of her methods that we can actually take home and use on ourselves. Three key things we will learn are why it's so difficult to change unproductive, harmful, or even dangerous habits, even when we really want to change. 
how to create feelings of willingness to do the things we know we should do, but keep putting off, and how to change how you frame your goals to make them more manageable. Before we dive in, I want to make sure you know about the morning mind love. It's the easiest way to start each day with a little reminder about how magical you really are. I get messages from people every single day about how the morning mind love is their favorite way to start the day, or that the message that just came through is exactly what they needed to hear. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. You'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. You'll get a free guided affirmation meditation to align your subconscious with your highest self, and you'll get a really cool booklet of Powerless so you can start getting clear on what you want and what really makes you happy. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word MORNING to 33777. That's MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Dr. Sasha Hines to the show. Hi, so happy to be here. To get started, I'm so curious about your story. Were you really one of the first people in the world to get a degree in positive psychology? Yes, which is so funny that it's that new. I mean, it now maybe doesn't feel as new, but it really, it really is. Like I got my degree, oh, I don't know, maybe 13. Well, I can't even do the math. 14 years ago, <laughs> 14 years ago. And we were the first 33 people on the planet to get a degree specifically in positive psychology. It's not that there wasn't research being done that would on happiness and well-being in the field of psychology, there definitely was, but there was no dedicated field to studying, you know, positive emotions, well-being, happiness, optimal functioning, and all of the above. Well, this might be totally different, but I've worked with a lot of startups, and I know that before I'd be so excited when something new came around, but now I am so hesitant to invest a lot of time, like putting content into the platform or whatever it might be, because you never know if it's going to be around <laughs> by the right. next year. And so how right. did you know that that was worth pursuing? That's such a good question. I mean, I look back, I'm like, I think it was all just, it's either dumb luck or it's like a calling, you know, you get to decide what you want to make it mean. I think I'd rather decide that it's a call. <laughs> it's my calling. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things that humans do best is we make sense of our lives retrospectively. And it's actually such an important skill to be able to look back on your life and you construct a narrative that makes, gives you a sense of meaning and purpose. So I look back on the decision to get a degree in positive psychology, and it really was from some of my life experiences and having had worked with a coach and just loving it so much. And I think I had been an, a high school and athlete as a kid, and I think I was very familiar with that relationship of someone asking me to show up at my best and pushing me and that I would be developing skills and growing and, you know, each year I'm becoming a better you know, whatever athlete, tennis player or field hockey player, lacrosse player, whatever, like you're, you're developing skills and you have a coach who's pushing you and giving you very specific feedback and giving you exactly what you need to specifically work on so that you can push yourself to your edge. I really loved that relationship. And so the idea that you could do the same thing psychologically, that not only could you become, you know, sort of mentally or, you know, that you can be psychologically like a neutral, like, okay, but you could actually develop your mental fitness in the same way that you develop your physical fitness. But that to me was such an exciting idea. Yeah, I talk about that a lot when people ask, well, what is mind love? And I'm like, well, you know that you need to work out your body to stay in shape and to keep it running smoothly. But people don't always think about it with their minds. It's like we expect to be learning until school ends and then we're ready for the workforce. And a lot of people don't really prioritize constantly challenging themselves unless it's specifically for a work goal. But I find it mm -hmm. fascinating that we can always keep getting better. If I'm not learning something all the time, I feel like part of me is dying. Do you feel that way? Yeah. And this is an interesting thing. I don't have any research on this, but every human being is a goal-directed developing organism from cradle to grave. That's just everybody is. But I do think that there are some people that have particular wiring that 
have sort of the need to challenge themselves and they need to keep sort of achieving and going after things more than others. Oh, I mean, so, just my observation. So I might just be one of the weird ones then. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like I'm wired the same way. I mean, there's, I'm constantly, you know, what's next? What's next? What can I do? How can I challenge myself? How can I look back and think like, oh, I couldn't have done that three years ago. That's just the way that my, that I'm wired or that's like always been my orientation to life. But I don't think everybody is necessarily like that, even though every human is developing from, as I said, from cradle to grave. And I think one of the things that's culturally, we are inculcated as children and in those sort of early developmental years, we have milestones that we need to meet every year. You are growing. You are constantly asking yourself, who do I want to be when I grow up? What am I going to do? What do I want my life to be about? Like you're really future oriented. And then we hit sort of this middle section of our life you know, between 20s and 30s, where you've kind of checked the boxes of what you thought you were supposed to achieve. Mm. And then the question really becomes, you know, who am I? And we start to look back on our past to give us evidence for who we are, as opposed to what we used to do when we were younger, which is, who do I want to be? Who do I want to be in 10 years? Who do I want to be in 20 years? What do I want to do with my life? Right? We stop asking those questions. And so I think it feels familiar to people listening. I'm sure like, oh yeah, I, I know that feeling of like just sort of feeling stagnant or one year seems to roll into the next. Right. I think we can get stuck in that place. So I know that feeling of feeling stuck. Only when you were talking and talked about how looking back on our past to kind of figure out who we are. I mm-hmm. had to do the opposite because I made way too many, I'm doing air quotes, mistakes. <laughs> but basically, <laughs> right. I was like what I call a guinea pig for bad decisions. Mm-hmm. And so if I were to identify with those things, <laughs> I would not be in a very good mental place. But I was in that mental place at one time. So I had to basically do that thing that we do when we're children, where who am I going to be at a much later age than maybe some people did. And I know a lot of people feel that same way, whether they made all the right decisions and they feel stuck or they made all the wrong decisions and they feel stuck. So I'm curious, when you are feeling just like you can't move, maybe it's that you're stuck in a job that you've invested a ton of time into, or you don't know what else you're going to do, or you don't have other marketable skills, or even you're in a relationship or something like that where you just can't see the way out. What do you recommend is the first step to do to even just get clarity on what next step to take? Well, even before you're thinking about what next step to take, I think that the most important thing to figure out is what's happening. What are your thoughts currently? What are the current set of thoughts that are making you feel that complacent, stuck? Like, what are the thoughts that you're having that are creating the emotions that you're not enjoying what you're doing, or you're feeling like maybe you're feeling hopeless, or you're feeling defeated or disappointed, right? Those are all emotions that we feel, but they're all generated by the thoughts that we think, right? So why are you feeling disappointed? Is it that you thought you'd be farther along? Is it you fantasized about a particular career and it didn't work out that way? Like, what is going on? that's creating those emotions. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. 
But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. <laughs> and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com mindlove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash mindlove. Are we looking for when we feel the emotion to write it down and see what it's attached to? Or are we looking for actually external triggers that bring us to that emotion? Or is it a little bit of both? So that's a great question. Our brain wants to tell us that the external factors, so the facts, as I call the facts of our life, where we work, who we work with, you know, all of the externalities of our life, like our brain wants to tell us that those external things are actually causing our emotions. Mm -hmm. But that's never true. It's always our thoughts. The mediator there is always our thoughts, right? So it feels like in our, our experience feels like this external thing happened, I'm feeling angry or this external thing happened, I'm feeling disappointed or sad or hurt. But what really is creating that emotion is always the thought that was triggered by the event. Right. And I talk a lot about how thoughts and our thought patterns are really habits because mm -hmm. I made that shift. And so it really involved creating a new habit and being so intentional about it. And you said earlier how when we were talking about your life up until now, you're like, well, you know, I think we like to look back on our lives and find the meaning in it. But there mm -hmm. are also the people who look back on their lives and they find a way to still be a victim. And it's that same kind of mindset shift in my mind where you can look back and say like, well, all this stuff happened to me and I had no control over it. Or you can look back and find the meaning, find your mm -hmm. part in it. And those are the ways to make the change. So it sounds like it's that same mental shift where you're owning your life, you're taking responsibility for where you are and your choices and how you're currently thinking in order to move forward. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I think it really comes down to, I mean, I love Carol Dweck's research on fixed versus growth mindset. I mean, I think it really comes down to that dichotomy, which is, you know, are you living your life with the fundamental belief system that your personality, your talent, your abilities, your competence, it's all fixed, that these are fixed attributes that you have. So, you know, you're smart or you're not smart, you're athletic or you're not athletic, right? Where everything becomes, you either got it or you don't, you won the genetic lottery or you didn't, right? Or you won the circumstantial lottery or you didn't, or you have a growth orientation or growth mindset, which is believing that your abilities and that your competencies are, you can develop them, right? That you can actually become better and you can grow. You can learn to be really great at something that you may not have initially been all that great at, right? So believing that it's always possible to become better at something. It's always possible to develop skills in a particular area or talent or develop mastery in a certain area. So I feel really grateful that I've always had a growth mindset, at least in areas of my life. Other areas, mm -hmm. maybe I had to work a little bit harder. But mm -hmm. there are some people who 
don't have that luxury. Maybe it's nature, maybe it's nurture, maybe it's a combination of the two, but there are people who just don't believe that they're going to get better in some of the areas of their life that is the most important for them to get better or make a change. What do you see as the common differentiator between either people that move to the growth mindset or really starting to believe Like, what are the steps in order to move from that fixed mindset to really believe that you can make a change or to start gathering evidence maybe for yourself? I mean, I think your point, just what you said, I mean, I think it's really important to recognize that it can be domain specific, right? So you can have a, it was so funny. I, (laughs) I was at a chess tournament, nerd alert. Um, I was at a chess (laughs) tournament with my son a number of years ago. And there was another mom who I was speaking with. And it was just such a funny example of fixed versus growth mindset. And, and she was saying how, you know, and I was making a joke. I was like, oh my gosh, I knocked me over with a feather that I have a child who is, loves to play chess and is good at chess. <laughs> I never in a million years would have <laughs> imagined this. And she was saying, how her son played chess. She's like, well, you know, we're not athletes in our family. Like I knew that he would never become a great athlete, but I knew that, you know, you can always become better at chess. You can always develop more skills and become, you know, a smarter chess player. But I just knew that, you know, he just don't got it when it comes to sports. And it was so interesting because when I was listening to her speak, I was like, wow, isn't that fascinating? I had the exact opposite belief. (laughs) I believe that like anybody can become athletic. It's just about practice. It's like effort and practice. That's it. It's having good feedback. It's putting in the hours. It's just like putting in more hours and stuff. I'm not saying that people don't have like a natural propensity for particular to be athletic, but when it comes to being a really successful athlete, it's about gritting it out and like putting in the hours. I've seen so many naturally talented athletes not do much with it. And I've seen people that weren't that talented initially work really, really hard and become, you know, NCAA athlete or, you know, (laughs) go play in the junior national tennis tournament. You know what I mean? So to me, I was like, that's so crazy. I think the exact opposite, like athletics, you can absolutely develop skill just with effort and time and, and good feedback and coaching. But your intelligence, like your ability to play chess. Like, I don't know. I think that's kind of, you got it or you don't. And it was so interesting how I was like, whoa, (laughs) there was a fixed mindset. A, I didn't even see that I had. And it was just so interesting when you're listening to somebody else talking, like we all make this stuff up. Isn't that interesting? Like none of, (laughs) she's not right. And I'm not right. Right. We're both making this up. We've just decided that in one domain you can develop and grow and in another one you can't. And in that sense, limited are there ourselves or our children. That's so true. And so much of what you believe about yourself, especially in those earlier years, is what's reflected back to you. So if you have a mom telling you that, well, you can't really get better in athletics, but you can in chess, that's going to be a deeply held belief. And it's funny because my husband like two years ago, he was just like, I'm going to learn how to do the human flag, which I have never seen somebody do in real life, you know, where they hold themselves out from a pole, like like horizontally where their whole body's up. And he's like, I'm going to learn how to do that. And I'm like, uh-huh, sure, babe. Right. And like f- four months later, he can do it. And he can now hold himself in the human flag for over Amazing. 40 seconds. But he's just like, I can't whistle. There's certain words I just can't say. And I'm like, I'm going to teach you how to do this stuff. I'm going to teach you how to roll your R's. I'm going to teach you how to whistle, all of the things. And he's been learning how to do that. But there was just something in him. It was those weird little things that he thought he could never improve on until somebody challenged it. And so it's so interesting, too, how, like you said, we just make stuff up. But then it just lives in our head until we decide to challenge it, which is why it's so important to bring more awareness to our day-to-day things because you might not know what you're holding yourself back by until you bring that awareness. Right. And the problem with the fixed mindset, you know, is when you start to really unpack it is when you really believe that it's like some innate, you know, ability and you either sort of, you got it or you don't, or you sort of, you won the jackpot or you didn't, then it's such a powerless place to be. And 
because you can't do it's really not in your control right and what happens is is like all well and good until you get to a level where you aren't the best kid on the hockey team yeah what do you do with that right if it's either like you're a good hockey player you're not and if there's no room to grow then what do you do with all when the first time that you experience defeat or things get hard right now there's a lot of kids who you know can like to have a great slap shot and you're not the only one or whatever it is right so yeah. then what do you do with that and it, this is where the, in Carol Dweck's research like this is what she found was leading to kids that were sort of quitting you know they would just give up because if they weren't the best, then that was that, right? They just clearly, they didn't have it as opposed to thinking like, oh, I just need to work a little harder at this, or I just need to develop this skill or what it's a very insidious way of thinking because it can be, you know, what could be wrong about thinking like I'm a great athlete. It's like, well, if you think about it in a fixed way, at some point that belief system is going to be challenged. Right. Yeah. I remember reading Angela Duckworth's Grit, and she mm -hmm. was actually on the show a while back. And one of the things that she found was that the people that had a natural ability that always excelled, when they hit that pain point of like, okay, well, now it's not coming so easy. There was always like this peak for them of their natural abilities till they really needed to strive. And a yep. lot of times it was the people that had a harder time getting to that first level that would then surpass the people that were naturally good because the people that were naturally good didn't understand that they really needed to work hard to get it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's that second best thing. So I'm wondering, what are the psychological reasons that we just hate being second best, especially when we've already been so good <laughs> in the first place? Right. I mean, I, I think the, the equation that Angela has is like, is talent times effort equals skill, skill times effort equals excellence or something like that. Right. It's so her point is that talent figures into the equation once effort figures into the equation twice. Mm. Effort is so much more important, but it really does for some people, it takes a real mental shift to believe that their effort really matters. So how do you start to build that in yourself? I know there's so many people that are like, well, my mom didn't raise me that way. And so now I have this struggle my whole life. So oh, yeah. how do you start developing that growth mindset? What do you do? <laughs> right. I know. I mean, I look, I'm like, gosh, I really grew up in a fixed mindset house. Like, oy vey. But uh, <laughs> this is why I do what I do, because I love all of the theoretical research. And it's so interesting to me to understand, like understanding the difference between just the way that people approach their belief system and how they think about their abilities can have a profound impact on, you know, the results they get and how far they take things. I think that's so fascinating. And I could geek out on this stuff forever in all of the other positive psychology research. But the, what I found for me really like hooked me in and got me so interested was that like, despite knowing all of this stuff. Like I know the research on why a growth mindset matters. I studied it. I understand it. It's very different to theoretically understand why it matters to have a growth mindset and, you know, then actually developing a growth mindset. Those are two very different things. So, you know, my professional interest really shifted to becoming fascinated with how do I actually help people develop more of a growth mindset? How do I help people develop an effective mindset, which is really what I would call it, right? Like, how do you help people think in ways that help them achieve the results that they really want in life? It's not theoretical at all. It's like, <laughs> it becomes very specific, right? You're working on the micro issues in somebody's life. That makes sense. I was just talking to a hypnotist about this, actually, because <laughs> I am always learning. I read multiple books at a time. I, like I said, I love to learn and to challenge myself. But then it mm -hmm. gets to a point where I'm like, well, I've read six books in the last few weeks, and there's a lot of changes I need to make. <laughs> and I right, can only right. make one at a time. And even then, so the most recent one is... I know how much I excel when I am scheduling out my days hour by hour. And 
that includes scheduling in the fun time. So it's not like I'm just living this totally rigid life. Mm-hmm. I was the most productive a few months ago when I was scheduling in an hour in the afternoon to lay in the sun. And then the next hour I was editing and the next hour I was doing whatever. Yeah. But. I tend to go in waves of three months and then I'll fall off for a month and I'll be sitting there and I'm like, first of all, I'm not as happy right now. I'm not as productive right now. And I know all the things, but it takes me a little while to reconnect what I know and what I'm actually doing. So how do we start to do that faster? I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. It takes me a little while to reconnect what I know and what I'm actually doing. So how do we start to do that faster? Oh my gosh, this is the human conundrum. It really is. Like this is, I think where everybody can just, if you want to have compassion for somebody else, just know that they're suffering and struggling with this in the same way that you are. Every single human. Every human knows what to do and isn't doing it and is doing what they know not to do. (laughs) Like (laughs) that is the universal truth. I mean, I think on some fundamental level, just like having compassion for yourself and not catastrophizing it, I think is an important thing to do. But the question is like how to get back on track faster. Well, like one of the things that I work on with my clients is what are you doing in that if you scheduling out your day, right? You planning out your day. And so when that 
the hour hits where you're supposed to be doing something. This is why I think self-coaching, like teaching, learning how to coach yourself is so important. If you're make a deal with yourself, you're like, okay, I can do that thing that I scheduled on my calendar. Or the other option is I can do nothing. No email, no other errand, no, you know, no errands, no quote unquote productive things, no like leaving my door open at the office and chit-chatting with someone, like no other distraction, even if it sounds like a, you know, reasonably good one, that I'm either doing the task that I said is on my calendar or I'm doing nothing. I'm staring at a blank wall, right? Or the third option is the only thing you can do at that time is write down what your thoughts are, why you're unwilling to do the thing that's on your calendar. Mm. Right. So, and then taking yourself through some self-coaching to understand what's going on in my brain that makes this particular task feel so dreadful to me right now. That's such a good idea because I consider those little times when I'm totally wasting time as like this blip or like a black hole that I'm suddenly in and to get the insight from the black hole, like what is really going on rather than just looking back and saying, oh, there was another hour that I was unproductive. Right. I mean, and this is what's so interesting is like, it's not necessarily that profound. It's normally pretty mundane, but what you, what is profound is the patterns you begin to see, right? So, because what happens is when you get stuck and you're not following your calendar and you're sort of like, gosh, my, my days are slipping through my fingers. It's a horrible feeling, right? You're like, Oh my God, how is it October? (laughs) You know, how four months gone by and this still stuff is still not done. Like you feel like your life is slipping away from you. It's a terrible feeling. But what happens is then we try to sort of globalize it. We're like, what's wrong with me? Why can I never stick to my schedule? I'm so terrible at managing my time. All of those thoughts, they're really questions, right? They're questions that you're asking yourself. What's wrong with me? Why am I so bad at time management? You know, why can I never finish what I start? There are questions that your brain is going to answer with very unhelpful answers because you suck, because you're lazy, (laughs) right? Like that's what your brain is going to tell you. It's like if if you knew the answer, obviously you'd solve it. So what are some questions that would be more helpful or more productive? The first step is to get very specific, right? So instead of saying like, what is wrong? Why can't I manage my time? Like that is way too big of a question. Then the way to deal with it is like, okay, right now my calendar says that I need to email three people and I'm not doing it. Right. So then in that little, in the black hole, I love that description, right. Of like in the vortex of wasting time. And by the way, we do it in all these ways that feel very productive. We productively waste time. (laughs) Yes. But when you're not allowing yourself to do that, like you're all the other stuff is off the table. The only thing you're allowed to do is literally just sit there. So when you're coaching yourself and you're, what is it about this email that feels so hard or like what, What is it about writing this paragraph that feels so difficult? Why do I not want? And so then you can start answering those questions, right? It might be, well, I don't, you know, like so-and-so is going to be mad at me if I say no. And so you haven't wanted to send the email or I feel like I should say yes to this, but I really don't want to. And so you've been putting off sending off some, you know, responding to something or, you're writing something and then all of these thoughts come out like, this is not good enough. What if people are going to hate it? I don't know, right? Whatever the thoughts are that come up. And then you get to deal with like, okay, this is what's going on in my mind. Like these are the things that are blocking me from getting this task done. And normally when you can coach yourself through it, you're like, okay, I see that that thought's creating anxiety. And when I feel anxious, I want to distract myself. Right. Right. So I'm very excited to scroll Instagram and I'm very excited to do some other task that's not important. I'm very excited to like knock other things off my to-do list except for the things I really do need to do. Right. So then you're the way that you manage this is looking at what's the result I want or outcome I want. The outcome I want is to finish that task. You're going to work your way backwards. Right. So getting this done 
right? What would the emotion I would need to feel in order to take action? Anxiety is not working. What do I need to feel, right? Do I need to feel calm? Do I need to feel determined? Do I need to feel committed? Like what's the emotion I want to dial up, right? I want to turn the volume up on that emotion. What would the thought that I would need to think to create that emotion? So often for me, the emotion is just willingness, right? Just willingness to get started. So then what do I need to think to create that feeling of willingness instead of dread? Okay. Well, my first thought was, wow, so simple, but so profound. And then my second thought was, wait, how do you create willingness? Isn't that the problem is that we feel unwilling to do these certain things? Well, it's really a thought, right? So the things that are always blocking me are never actions. The things that are blocking me are always thoughts. So like if I have writing is on my calendar, is on my to-do and I'm putting it off, right? So if I'm really going to get clear on my thinking, I'm going to sit down and do a thought download. Like, what am I thinking? What's going on in my brain? And then all of these thoughts are going to come up. Like, what I'm thinking, my research isn't clear. What I'm thinking about this particular topic, I haven't flushed it out enough. You know, it's not coming together. Whatever it is, like all the thoughts that I have. And then I can see, oh, wow, all of these thoughts are creating so much angst, right? Like these thoughts create doubt, confusion, anxiety, whatever those emotions are. And when I'm in that emotional space, like I do not want to get started. I want to run, run away. (laughs) Right? I found that what holds me back the most is some sort of feeling of unknown. So like you said, writing is one that definitely stops me a lot. I find myself procrastinating Mm -hmm. writing or just not doing it and thinking I'm in some perpetual state of writer's block. Another thing is when I've just completed a big project and I'm trying to figure out what my next big goal is. And both of those things are because, well, before you start writing, you don't know exactly what you're going to write usually. (laughs) You don't know how it's going to come together. And before I lay out my big goal, I'm like, okay, well, I know I want to create some sort of membership site or create a new digital course but I don't know all the content yet. And so it'll stop me because it feels like this big monster of unknown. And usually the best thing I can do for myself is just be like, okay, sit down with those feelings of unknown and just start writing. Do a big brain dump of everything that you know right now. And that can at least take away some of my inhibitance or my hesitancy Mm -hmm. to actually get started. Yeah. I mean, so I think part of it is developing the skill of being able to break it down so that the the actions, the tasks that you're putting on your calendar are not like write chapter. Like <laughs> yeah. that's a ridiculous thing to have on your calendar, right? It's like, no, you have to be way more specific so that you don't overwhelm yourself when you're sitting down. Like, what do you mean write chapter? That's way too big. You know, I can't, A, I can't get that done in this time. And B, that's like, I don't even know where to begin, Right. But what I find, and, and the same thing with when you're sitting down to write content for a course, like, okay, the first thing on your calendar might be brain dump of possible topics, right? Like that's what needs to go on your calendar. So it, the first thing that can go on your calendar is like sit down and just write out what do you think all the tasks might be, right? And then start to put them on your calendar. Like it takes work. This is not easy to do. But what I find so interesting is... I never have mental drama writing an Instagram post. I like, I have an idea. I just sit down. I'm like, bup, 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 bup. I write it. I send it off, right? Then I might go back five minutes later and be like, oh, you know what? I should, probably should proofread that. <laughs> then I go back <laughs> and I edit it. Like, oh, there are like five massive typos, right? But that it's pretty straightforward. Like I don't get blocked. But I sit down and I have write something for, you know, a book proposal and I get blocked. What's the difference? 100% my thoughts. It is not that both of them require writing. Both of them is creating content. One, I have a thought that it has to be a specific level of excellence out of the starting gate. Like I have all this judgment about it. And the other one, it's like, oh, whatever. It's just a social media post. Just put it out there. Right? So because of the way that I'm thinking about it, one of them is easy to do. The other one is very hard to get started on. So our job is to manage our thoughts so that 
they're just as easy to start, right? That I'm managing my thoughts about both tasks in ways that make them not so overwhelming, right? Not creating dread or anxiety. So what would you call that? Is it uh, some sort of level of perfectionism? Is it just that we've trained ourselves to think this area of our life is harder and this one's easier? What's really going on there? You know, in that case, I think that we have a sort of a cultural belief around like what's the level of excellence when it comes to people writing a post on an Instagram post. I mean, there's a lot of grammatical mistakes. There's a lot of typos. People don't really judge it. It's like, oh, it was just your thought and you just put it out into the world, right? Mm -hmm. You were just thinking something and you just wrote it and you put it out there. I think when people they're either writing, you know, they're writing an academic paper or they're writing, you know, something that is a report that's going to a client or something, their level of what they think is expected of them in terms of the quality of it, I think that they believe has to be higher, right? So they're more likely to get stuck. But in some sense, it's rather silly because you can always write a crummy first draft. Yeah. Right? And it's actually the most recommended thing to do by every creative I know. <laughs> know right. that your first draft of anything is going to be really shitty. <laughs> right, exactly. Like that's Anne Lamott's, you know, that's her thing. She's like, just write a shitty first draft. Yeah. And really great writers all say the same thing. So what's so interesting is that in terms of the externalities of it, like what you're doing is essentially exactly the same thing, but because you think of it in a different way, one is easy to do, the other one's not. So how do we start to train our brains to think in this more kind of positive way? Are there any tricks or hacks that we can think of when we realize, hey, I'm not doing this <laughs> or I'm not getting stuff done. How can I switch my thoughts? Right. So you have to go in the same way that you're going to increase your physical fitness, you're doing the same thing with your mental fitness, right? So if you want to develop more of a growth mindset, and by the way, growth mindset would be, I'm going to write a shitty first draft and the second draft is going to be better. Yeah. Like I'm just going to get my, all my thoughts on paper and then I'm going to organize them and it's okay. It's not a reflection of my intelligence if I don't get it, if I don't nail it right out of the gate, right? Because that's a very fixed mindset approach. It's either amazing or it isn't, <laughs> right? <laughs> There's not a lot of room. If you're trying to develop a more flexible, which is how I'd rather describe it, like if you're trying to develop a more flexible mindset, a mindset that works for you and not against you, then you have to practice it in the exact same way that you would go to a gym and like do reps at the gym. So, What's the thought I need to think to get me started here, right? So, and it would be different for each person because it's going to be a different roadblock for you. They're going to have a different psychological roadblock. That makes perfect sense for getting started on a new goal. But what I've also found is that a lot of people struggle with, you know, they might have the enthusiasm of a new goal right away, mm -hmm. but then their motivation quickly dies off and they lack the follow through. So what about right. that point where you're like, okay, I need to re-motivate myself or suddenly I'm losing my inspiration to go through with this? Right. So I think, you know, the other mistake that people make is they think that that sort of that sense of inspiration or motivation is just, you know, like bestowed upon us from the gods, you know, like we, <laughs> we got the muses with us today or it isn't, but that's never the case. You know, your uh, motivation, your drive, your inspiration, those are all emotions that we feel. Inspiration is an emotion, curiosity, interest, motivation, like all of those are emotions. And you get to create those emotions by your thoughts. So you have to wake up in the morning or like before you're sitting down to start a task, whatever stage you are in it, doing the work to get your mindset to the place you want it to be, right? Like this is what it means to, you know, you're sort of like you're thinking on purpose. What do I need to think to get this done? How would I need to think about this? How could I think about this in a way that is going to help me accomplish the goal or is going to move me, you know, toward the goal or toward the person I most want to be. 
So it's not so much about thinking positively. It's really about thinking effectively. And thinking effectively might be like, this is going to stink for five minutes. Like I'm going to feel a pit in my stomach. I'm going to be incredibly uncomfortable. I'm going to hate every minute, like every little second of this for approximately 90 seconds. That's like how long it takes to metabolize a feeling. And after that, it's going to get better. Like that might be where you're at. That might be the thought. It doesn't have to be, this is awesome. And I love it. And so I'm so lucky to sit here and write this article. Like that, that that might be too far. It might just be the thought that might be most effective for you in that moment might be like, okay, I'm feeling a ton of dread. This feels really uncomfortable. And every single sentence I write, I'm telling myself is stupid. But all I need to do is set an alarm for five minutes and just write, right? Like that might be the most effective thought in that particular moment. And then you move on. Yeah, what I have found super helpful for me, and I keep using writing because I feel like it's just such an easy one to put off no matter what, but it really goes for anything, whether it's like getting back into the gym or cleaning my room, (laughs) something that simple. Mm -hmm. And instead of having the goal or the expectation be the outcome of it, like I'm going to go have my room clean or I'm going to write this first draft or whatever, Mm -hmm. setting a time limit like, okay, for the next 20 minutes or starting small, especially now I can do like, okay, the next 45 minutes, I'm going to be putting stuff away in my room or I'm going to be writing something and having no expectation that the draft is going to be done or whatever. It helps me even write more or clean more because instead of being overwhelmed about what I still have to do, it's just like, just keep doing during this time frame. Yes. I love that. I mean, I think that that can be really helpful. It's really helpful for me. That strategy, I think, is really helpful for me at the gym for running because I've been working on a goal to be a runner. And if I just give myself, you know, if I say, like, I'm going to run eight miles and my brain is freaking out the whole time. But if I say, okay, I'm going to run for, you know, an hour and then I see where I'm at. And then it also, I give myself much less pressure about how fast I'm going, right. Or whether I do a run walk cadence or whatever, like I give myself much more flexibility because my goal is to just run for an hour, you know, just to be out either like on the trails for an hour, on the treadmill for an hour. Like, I think that that's a great strategy. Yeah. Plus in that, I've done that same thing. I remember when I was training for this half marathon and I would sit there and when I knew I had to run eight miles or whatever it was, it felt almost like I would get the same feelings as when my mom would tell me to do something like you need to go clean your room or whatever, where I'd feel this inner resistance. And I would almost always end up getting a better outcome when I took that pressure off because suddenly I was already in that relationship with myself where I was being compassionate and then it would take me back into the moment rather than what the result was supposed to be. And so then in those moments, I'd be running and feel more inclined to maybe run in sprints or intervals or whatever it was. And when I looked at the outcome at the end, it was almost always better. So it's like taking away that expectation and bringing it back to the present moment. Yeah. I mean, part of the problem is that our brain is very bad at estimating or anticipating what is going to make us feel good and what's going to make us feel bad. So, you know, the amazing research, obviously, on lottery winners, like if we win a huge financial windfall, then our life is going to be amazing. And that's not the case, right? There's a short kind of well-being boost, and then it goes back down to baseline. And so the same thing is true with negative events. Like we think that it's going to be so terrible and it ends up actually not being as bad as we anticipate. So in your mind, running eight miles, like, oh my God, I have to run eight miles. But then once you get on, you know, let's say you're on the treadmill and you're now at five miles and you're like, "Eh, I got some momentum. Like I could run three more. I think I can do that. That doesn't sound, it's not so bad. Right. So then it sort of gives your brain (laughs) better input because we're very bad at anticipating what is going to make us feel good and what's going to feel terrible. And we don't really get better at it, unfortunately. We seem to just go back to neutral. (laughs) Like (laughs) we never learn that lesson. It's very interesting. 
So some of the action items that I loved that we talked about are when we are in that moment of indecision or procrastination or whatever, to just sit there and journal what you're actually thinking about so that you can start to question those things. And then also taking awareness of our thoughts in those moments too, and the negative thoughts that we're thinking about the upcoming task and trying to flip that into something more positive. So are there any other action items that would be really helpful for listeners to take away from this episode and immediately apply to their life? I mean, I think the most important thing to realize is that like what really feels dreadful is normally the thoughts in our head. It's not really the experience of it which is always so interesting when you begin to pay attention to it. You're like, oh, what really feels hard about this is what I'm imagining in my brain. It's not actually the experience of it. And so the more you do, the more you self-coach and the more you sit down and pay attention to what's going on in your head, the better you get at it. You know, you're more on to yourself. Like, oh, here I'm, there I am, I'm doing that again. So I can't recommend getting your thoughts out of your brain where they feel very real and putting on them on paper so you can look at them. That's such a great point because, I mean, there was such a major shift that happened for me right before I launched this podcast when I realized that indecision is a form of pain. And I say it all the time on this show because what that makes you realize is there's so many times that I'm stopping myself from doing something, whether it's because I'm worried that I won't be successful at it. I don't really know where to start or I, whatever it might be, I'm trying to make it perfect and don't really know all the steps. So I'm overanalyzing. And the moment I just start doing, even if I realize the first few steps were pointless and I have to go back and redo them, I'm still happier redoing old work when I'm constantly taking action than when I'm stuck in my head, just mulling things over the whole time. It's like, it it's defeating. It doesn't feel good. It feels like that's when my feelings of worthlessness and I, and really self doubt pop up the most. Yeah. And by the way, that's why if you really stick with this approach and literally do nothing instead of doing the thing that you've said you were going to do, and don't distract yourself with other things. It is pretty excruciating to sit there with your thoughts and do nothing. You'd actually rather do the thing. I'm not kidding. Sitting with your brain and your thoughts is not that much fun <laughs> until you get like more friendly with you, what's going on under the hood. So it's not that pleasant to sit there and do nothing, right? What we do is we don't want to deal with any of our thoughts. So we then would distract ourselves by doing other little tasks that allow us to you know, not have to think the thoughts. But, you know, one of the thoughts that I love for me that I use and I practice on my, for me is, you know, action is the antidote to anxiety. Mm, That's a good one. When I'm having a hard time getting started on something, I just try to remind myself, you know, that action is the antidote to anxiety. So the second I just do one little thing, I'm going to all of a sudden feel so much better. I love that. So I am actually feeling super motivated. (laughs) I'm at that indecision point of like, okay, my next big project's coming up. So I'm so glad that I have so many of these things to work with. So for listeners who are also resonating and want to get more shit done, where's the best place to connect with you online? So um, on Instagram, no, um, I don't do Facebook. I'm on Instagram at the handle is D-R-S-A-S-H-A-H-E-I-N-Z. And then my website is same, www.drsashahines.com. So D-R-S-A-S-H-A-H-E-I-N-Z.com. That's where I am at. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this wisdom and for, you know, giving us that little kick in the butt that we needed. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You know, like you need to be your own, everybody needs to be their own coach because like when you're challenging yourself to your edge and you're trying to achieve something, it's inherently uncomfortable. Any change is, you know, intrinsic in the change process is discomfort. So when you're feeling very uncomfortable and when you're feeling like this is so hard, you're doing it right. All of the links mentioned in this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 103. So what did you figure out today? What would you love to change or accomplish that you can start using some of these techniques? Here's a little recap. 
first, start to notice your thoughts around whatever it is you'd like to do. Maybe it's a big, overwhelming goal. Maybe it's creating a new habit or breaking an old one. Journal what's going on in that wild mind of yours when you're putting things off. Next, start to change your thoughts around it. How can you make it more appealing? Remind yourself that it's more miserable to stay stuck in indecision and inaction than it ever feels actually doing the thing. Then start breaking it down. My personal trick is to break it down into something that only takes about 15 minutes. So writing a blog post becomes brainstorming ideas, then 15 minutes of research, brain dumping a shitty first draft, editing the intro paragraph, you get the gist. Pick one thing at a time that's a big change for you and keep doing it until you start to master it. Another great trick is to give yourself little rewards. Like, say you can watch an episode of This Is Us with a glass of wine after you do three 15-minute tasks today. Whatever it takes, whatever really motivates you. And I want to know what you're working on, so connect with me on Instagram and let's keep each other motivated. Find me at MindLoveMelissa. So if you love this episode, take a screenshot, tag me, and share it on Instagram. I've also still been sending a ton of you little voice messages, so I've been loving getting to know each of you better. And if you share this episode with a friend that you want to accomplish a goal with, it might really help with your accountability. Lastly, subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. <laughs> <laughs>